Um, I'd like to begin by just begging your forgiveness. I, um, I forgot to have my puff out this morning, and when the weather is like this, I get a little tickle in my throat, a little bit of a cough, so if that's happening, don't worry about me. It's just I'm trying to take a deep breath, and it's catching in my throat, and that's what it is. And when you're speaking out loud to a room like this, you can find that um, sometimes you're a little bit short of breath on that one. Um, before we move on to that slide, Barry, can we just go back that one? I just want to give you guys a sermon illustration first to begin with. Um, some of you have spoken with... Oh, thank you. Thank you. Very kind, Phil. Phil's just giving me a vapor drop. Thank you. Um, some of you have spoken with me about something that I said a couple of sermons ago where I said a minister can't be a missionary. And I, I really just wanted to clarify what I meant by that. I, I wasn't saying a minister shouldn't be a missionary. Of course, not at all. Um, I wasn't saying a minister is not supposed to be a missionary. No. I believe all ministers, or whether they're revs, pastors, um, uh, deacons, uh, in the United Church we also call deacons revs, should be actively working towards what we call outreach and evangelism. That is going out into the community, sharing the gospel, and doing that evangelistic work. What I was trying to say, and the picture that I was trying to paint for all of you, is that in this day and age, that's becoming more and more difficult. Because people with Rev in front of their names, um, people with pastor in front of their names, they tend to be seen as figures of authority. And in Australian society today, it's more likely that we're not taken very seriously, that we're not taken with the integrity and respect that we once had. And that's very sad. That is very lamentable. But I want to embrace that. You might be wondering, why? Why? Why, Esteban? Why would you want to embrace that? Because as Phil said earlier, I'm, I'm from Argentina. I'm from a country where we never had that. We never had that sense of a minister is the one who can tell you and open the Bible and, and have that respect in that culture and society. No way. Where we would have to, pastors and ministers would have to go into the community knowing that they were going to meet hostility and oppression. And I'm finding more and more in 21st century Australia that is the case. Some of you are aware I had the privilege of marrying a beautiful young Christian couple yesterday at Albert Street Uniting Church. I went for the rehearsal on Friday and I went dressed like this. And when I went in, a lovely older couple greeted me at the front door of this beautiful cathedral. And they began witnessing to me. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know Jesus? Was one of the first questions they asked me. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. And, and why are you here today? Oh, well, actually, I'm a minister and I'm presiding this. And the wife almost began crying. But you're a young man. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And she began telling me how they were there every Friday and they would open the doors and they would receive drug addicts, they would receive homeless people, refugees, students, tourists, and they would ask them if they knew Jesus. That very day, a young man had come in from one of the rehab facilities in the city. He had asked to sit quietly in one of the pews and pray. She came and sat beside him and she asked him if he knew how to pray and he said no. 
So she talked to him through the sinner's prayer. At the end of that, he broke down. He hugged her, her husband. Asked them, why do you do this? She said, for moments like these. She was in a, um, a walker. She could basically get three or four words out without having to take a very, very deep breath. You could tell that her capacities were very limited and she would not be able to do this for much longer. But she loved what she was doing. And I was so privileged when she and her husband sat down just before they locked the door so that we could have privacy for the um, rehearsal and asked that I pray a blessing over them. And I said, you guys should be praying for me. What you do is so amazing. It's so beautiful. Friends, that's what I'm trying to allude to. This beautiful older couple had an opportunity to witness in that space in a way that the ministers who were there many times couldn't. Because people couldn't get past the collar or the robes or everything else. Funnily enough, on the day of the wedding, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. I walked in there with my robes and everything and whew, everybody. <laughs> They knew exactly who I was and what I was there to do. And it was a very different atmosphere, let me tell you that. And I could see the people who did not want to make eye contact with me, who did not want to hear what I had to say. When I approached them, they kind of hid or shied away from others um, around the area. And because this was a lovely Christian couple, it was one of the first weddings that I've done. Well, one of the few weddings, sorry, that I've done, I've done before where I've had the opportunity to preach. And I actually had the opportunity to preach the word. Most weddings, they don't ask you to preach. They don't want you to preach. They recognize that a lot of their families are non-Christians. They don't understand why. Why would you get up and suddenly talk from Scripture? And it was a wonderful experience on those two fronts. But if you ask me what I will take away from that experience, it will be arriving for that rehearsal and having that wonderful conversation. That was a really beautiful moment. Friends, we are looking at Galatians 4 and we're looking at what it means to be the children of the free women, children of promise. And when I think about being children of promise, I think about that lovely older couple who would witness. I'm thinking about the, the missionaries of yesteryear who have gone out into unknown situations and have put their all on the line. I'm thinking of the young couple who wanted to have God's word being preached because they wanted an opportunity to witness to their family and friends in that space. I believe that so much of the book of Galatians is about encouraging every believer, every believer to exercise ministry. And that is one of the, the things that is at the heart of, of me and of who we are as a movement. Because in Australia today, we need Jesus. Am I right? Yes. And if we need Jesus, the only way how we're going to be able to do that is if we're going to be telling people about it, living Jesus out in our lives and in our communities. And that is the great demonstrator that we need to have from the book of Galatians. Thank you, Barry. So diving in, we see Galatians 4, verse 23. Abraham's son by the slave woman, Hagar, was born according to the flesh. But his son, according to the free woman, Sarah, 
was born as a result of a divine promise. I want to pause right there. There's a theory right now in theological circles about Galatians and its intended audience. So one of the theories is that it was for a specific church. And that what's being said here in particular is addressing a sermon that Paul might have preached in that specific church and expanding on that. The language here has um, elements of we have heard this before and it's being repeated, right? So that's the first theory. And I imagine, let's say for argument's sake, that that church is Pimpama United Church right here. Because I'm not going to bore you with diagrams of the heartland of Turkey where this was all said or anything like that. That is not really relevant to what we're talking about here today. What is really relevant is this, is that one of those theories is about a local church just like our church. A local church surrounded by lots of different people all around them. Families, youth, elderly groups, community groups, societies, associations, all who are fine for people's time there in Galatia. And why? Why, were, why was Paul saying these things? Because he wanted the people in that local congregation, according to this theory, to be able to exercise a welcoming and embracing and a preaching of the gospel into their local context. Sounds familiar? Sounds a little bit like what we've been trying to do here, isn't it? And, and that, I think that's why it's so relevant that we continue to open these books because it doesn't matter if you're in Cordoba in Argentina or if you're in Sao Paulo, Brazil or if you're in Kiev in the Ukraine or if you're in Pimpama in, in Queensland. This is relevant. This is local. This is important. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the language in which you speak. This is important. We are that children of promise. And maybe once upon a time you felt like a child a long, long time ago. But that doesn't give you an excuse. Because we are still children of God. We are still children of promise. And we need to exercise that inheritance that we've been talking about. The second theory about Galatians is that it's actually addressing a region. A series of churches. That something had happened at one point. There was a worshipping community. And that worshipping community had an experience. Explosive revival. And in that, they suddenly grew into the local area and began connecting with lots of people. So let, let's call that the M1 corridor, shall we? And let's start thinking about Pimpama, Kumra, Narang, Bean Lee. Anyone else? Or Mo, Shailapa. Jacob's, well, thank you. Now, you guys are all naming places where there are churches. Why are we naming places where there aren't churches? Come on, people. This is one of the fundamental issues I have as a minister in the 21st century. Because for whatever reason, we have blind spots, yes? And we don't see these blind spots as places that are viable for churches. Now, since when has this word come into Christian parlance? I don't see Paul writing about how to plant a viable church. Do you? 
He says a church is the group of people who love Jesus and who go out and live that love. And I would look around this room and I would say that most of you would be counted upon that very easily. See, you are among that children of promise. And that is something that is so important for us to understand and bear. But Paul is not... Okay, sorry, I should rewind the tape a little bit. So which theory do you like? Do you like the local theory? Do you like the regional theory? I don't know. I go between the two from time to time. Some of you are aware that I'm actually doing my thesis on this very passage. And um, yeah, I haven't actually pinned my, my colors to the flag as to which one of those two theories I like. Because I like them both. They both have strengths. They both speak to the local context and they speak to what Paul goes on to say and explain. Thank you, Barry. So as he's, oh, sorry, man. thanks, man. So as he's unpacking this, he draws from Isaiah 54, and I want to unpack that for us, not for their context, but for this one, because we're talking about Galatians, not as if it were in Galatia, in the heart of Turkey. We're talking about it as if it were right here in the heart of the M1 corridor. So Isaiah 54 is a promise, is a prophecy, sorry, of future glory of Zion. That's what the subheading says. Okay. Now, did you know that that Hebrew has a prophetic tense in the language? It has a tense that they use just for prophecy. Now, you might think, of course, so many of the books of the Bible have prophecy. It It makes sense that they would have a tense just for prophecy. No, it's not frequently used, but it's important. I want to say that again. Hear what I'm saying here. Hear the words. It's not that it's frequently used. It's that it's important. When God speaks, it's important. And that's a big part of what we need to understand around this particular prophecy of Isaiah 54 and how it connects with our reading. The next point. For you will spread your tent to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. The promise that Isaiah is bringing here to the Israelite people is he is saying that it's not going to be about just that one place that you once had. It's not going to be just about Pimpama Church here on 246 Creek Street. Is that right? Yeah? It's not going to be that. I remember once upon a time when a church was known for the region in which it served, as opposed to just the address which it inhabited. That's what we need to go back to. And if we're not just limited to Pimpama, to Ormo, to Jacob's Well, to Shalapan, Maybe we no longer look at the boundaries that we have with other churches and say, that's where we stop. And if a family is living just beyond that, we recommend that they go to that other church. No, sir. I met a wonderful worship leader in Adelaide once. Beautiful woman, full of the spirit. She had been a nun and uh, she had lost her faith and then went into nursing and in the hospital reconnected with Jesus Christ. 
But she connected not because she suddenly found what she'd been looking for. She connected because she realized there were so many people who needed Jesus in hospital emergency rooms. Many, many more than were coming to the convent, to the church where she served as a nun. And that moved her and changed her. And she did not want to go back into the Catholic Church for varied reasons. She was Portuguese. Instead, she decided to go to her local Uniting Church. A church not that dissimilar to this one in country, in the Adelaide Hills, a country church. And the folks in the church said to her, Oh, you're from Portugal. You might be more comfortable in one of the multicultural churches down in the city. Now, how do you feel about that, friends? Is that a welcoming church? Is that an embracing church? Would you do that? Thank you. <laughs> no, we would not. They were thinking of her. You know, no, oh, you might be more comfortable with people like you. But if we are all children of promise, if we are all children of God, then we are alike. No matter what color of skin we have, no matter what language we speak. And she stayed there. And she became their worship leader. And she sang songs. And I remember one day she organized the farewell of the local minister, a minister who had been mentoring me while I was there. And uh, my two daughters at the time were two and four. And they, they danced. Her name was Amelia. They danced with Amelia um, as part of the worship that day in the farewell for Richard. And I literally wept. I wept because I saw such authentic, beautiful worship that it touched my heart. We're not about to send people to the Shaler Park church just because they live in Shaler Park. If they want to go, yes, of course, we release them. We don't hold on. We don't, we're not selfish. But we want to love. We want to embrace. We want to connect. We want to include. You will spread your tent to the right and to the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. I read that and as a person who started ministry as a church planter, I am excited because I think God does not want us to leave even one inch of territory. We have an enemy out there in the world, guys. And that enemy wants to take all the territory he can. When we give space, we're not just giving space for maybe other churches or maybe other religions or maybe other spaces. We're giving space for the enemy. I'd rather come in there and have those conversations with the other churches, have those conversations with the other faiths. But know that words of light, hope and peace are still being spoken in those spaces. So I will not give up that ground. Thanks, Barry. Isaiah goes on to say, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back. I, I walked away from the church. I grew up in the church my whole life. And I was 18. And I was tempted by this world. And I was hurt by the church. Church who said similar things to me as they said to my friend in the Adelaide Hills. So I said, stuff you guys. If that's what you want, I'm going to go. And I walked away. 
And I tasted and I sampled of this world as the prodigal son did. And I looked up and I realized even my father's servants have a better life than this. And by that I meant God's servants. The ones who were in the church. The ones who had forsaken and neglected me. And so I opened my eyes and I opened my heart and I sought to connect with God in different ways. I renounced my upbringing and I wanted to find wherever God was going to lead me. Wherever I could go. I even went to Armenian churches. Sorry, for those of you who are not theologically trained, there's a big divide between the Presbyterians and the the Armenians. And so that's a bit of an in-house joke there. In that openness, I met amazing people, some of whom are still in my intercessors, are still interceding for me today. I know we don't worship together geographically, but we worship with one spirit and one heart because we are still children of promise. This prophecy in Isaiah 54 mentions the days of Noah. That is a big flag. We need to see that because whenever the prophets talk about Noah, they're talking about the universality of God's love for all people. In the time of Jesus, people who were followers of Noah were considered to be the ones who as Gentiles continued in the fear of the Lord. You sometimes see them called fearers of God. That is really important because this prophecy comes from before that time. And so it is highlighting for them this universality. I don't think I need to unpack that any further. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> You're right. You're right, man. You're good. You're good. And then the prophecy speaks of the restoration of a city. Oh, that hits me right here. Because our city, and St. Augustine writes extensively about the city of God. Our city is to be a beacon on a hill, a light for all who are in darkness. Now, yes, Isaiah is probably talking about Jerusalem here. He may have had Jerusalem in his mind when he saw this. But prophecy is often ageless. And today doesn't speak to me. I don't see the high rises of Brisbane Central. I don't see one tower on the Gold Coast looking out over the Pacific Ocean. I see a city of people being restored to the bosom. Of God being brought in as children of promise. He goes on to say, All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Russell Moore is a well known missiologist. Um, I believe he was there at that, that breakfast at the um, Global Theology Conference where the term missiology was first stamped into being. He can be counted along along with names such as Alan Ruxborough, Michael Frost, and N.T. Wright. If those names mean anything to you, you'd be very impressed. If not, that's okay. But these are men at the moment, mostly men, who have devoted their lives to seeing mission in the 21st century change and affect the world. He writes, in an age suspicious of all authority outside of the self, the appeal 
to a, and I put a big W there. That was me, that's my contribution, because I know what it means. Appeal to a word that carries transcendent authority that can only be the Bible, can be just distinctive and disruptive enough to be heard, even if not immediately embraced. What he's saying there is that when we open our Bibles, we do a miraculous thing. We embrace that identity of children of promise. Because if what you have there is a Bible that you've had for decades or a brand new Bible that has spoken to you, or if it's on your phone and you're pulling up different translations and reading them at the same time, it doesn't matter because those words are ageless. Those words are limitless. And although they're not perfect because they were penned by fleshly human hands, they are inspired by perfection. Are you with me? What Russell Moore is saying here is he's saying, you know what? There is a world out there that is too comfortable. And when you bring the Bible into that world, it rocks that world. It can be disruptive. But that might be just what this world needs right now. To change. To hear change. To know true love. There are lots of definitions of love out in the world today. Some of them are not what I would consider to be very healthy. But I would move away from that and I would say, in God's word, we have an example of perfect love. Where God loved us in such a way to give his son, to give his life for us. This is what makes us children of promise. This is what Paul is talking about to the Galatians. This is what he wants for them and for us to know. He goes on to write to his disciple Timothy. He writes him an extensive letter, second letter. And in its third chapter, he is giving his concluding words, but he doesn't finish before saying this. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right now I'm having monthly meetings with two individuals in a discipleship program. One of them is a believer, one is not. We opened the Bible in a cafe in West End. Have you been to West End lately? It's not exactly a Bible-friendly place. <laughs> Lots of New Age shops and things of that ilk. But there's an acceptance when we take our Bibles out and open them. I gave her the Bible she's using now. She asked me, what kind of Bible should I buy? I said to her, no, no, don't worry. Let me get it for you. Let me give you the word. With my Christian friend, we're going in a very different direction. He knows his Bible. But I'm telling him, you want to witness through your cleaning business? You need to read your Bible differently. 
You need to read your Bible missiologically. You need to understand these passages aren't just for you to stand over other people and go, hey, the Bible says this. This is a passage for you to be convicted yourself and say, hey, God is moving me in this way. How can I love you with the heart of Christ? And I was really shocked because the first couple of sessions with this young man, he came to me and he would come with all of the issues of the job. He, he would come in like this. He was kind of you know, bent over with the, the physical stress of what he was experiencing as a 20, I think he's 28, owning his own business. He would come in like that. And we would always spend the first 15 minutes. We have 45 minutes. We would spend the first 15 minutes just talking about the issues at work and trying to work through it. The last session we had last week, he came in standing upright, big smile on his face. Why? Because he said, you know what? Now that I'm reading God's word, I feel like as if I have strength and I have power to go into these things. The stress and the issues are still there, but I am not alone. See, friends, we've been taught to read the Bible for such a long time, like as if it's all on us, like it's a burden, like it's a heavy thing for us to carry. When Jesus actually said your burdens are meant to be light and easy. So let us carry them with him. Amen. I began by sharing with you, correcting that word that I gave you earlier regarding ministers can't be missionaries. Because I definitely believe we should be working in that space. But sometimes that oppression that we find out in the world feels too much, too hard, too cumbersome. I encourage my fellow ministers to take up the yoke of Christ. And let that be the way how we work the soil through him. But I want to encourage you also. Because if we both work together, then that plow is going to work much easier, isn't it? It's going to work so much better. Let us remember that regardless of titles or calling, we are children of promise. As Paul says to Timothy, servants of God, thoroughly equipped for God's every good work. Amen. Amen. Let us bow our heads and pray. God, you are good and your love endures forever. You are here in this place. And Father God, as the rain is falling down right now, I pray that your blessings fall upon your people, all those who hear this, whether it's here on the Sunday morning or online. And that they know that they are not our Lord. That you are with them, that you carry them, that you hold on to them. I thank you for the opportunities you've given me to be a missionary in spaces where I would not normally be welcome. And the opportunities you give my sisters and brothers here in this place. And that Father God, you continue to pour your word down upon us. Not a word of correction or chastisement, but a word that says I love you. And I am ready to go out and step out into the streets with you, alongside you. So God, bless us with an understanding of this this day. Equip us and empower us, I pray in your son's precious name. Amen.